Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, TSL family, producer Jeff here, and we want to start by saying thank you for your patience. I know this episode is oddly dropping on a Sunday, and we had just switched to our Thursday schedule. Good news, you're actually getting a bonus episode this week, so starting this Thursday, you will have another episode, and presumably we will be consistently releasing on Thursdays from here on out, um, assuming that nothing else kind of shows up in our lives, but we are so excited to get back, and we feel like we're back with a really amazing episode. Um, Lorian is joining us, and as you can imagine, our team had a lot to catch up on. And as our Adventures in Screenwriting segment kind of evolved, it seems like the writing gods were sort of pointing us toward the same thing, which is how we can take care of our writer selves when we're feeling overwhelmed. I know that I and so many of you all in the Facebook group feel so grateful that Lorian has led us into the struggles of this brand new chapter in her life. We'll talk more about that on the show. Uh, But truthfully, all three of us have been dealing with some pretty serious lava lately. Um, But as we talked about it and kind of unpacked it, we realized that we've all been discovering ways to work through it. And these methods have been really helpful for us, so we hope that they're helpful for you too. And we decided in that interest to kind of only keep our Adventures in Screenwriting segment because it eventually ended up kind of evolving into our topic as well. And then starting this Thursday and every Thursday after that, we will be back into normal episodes. So thank you so much for your patience and buckle up for a outstanding episode of The Screenwriting Life. My week has been, I am trying to crawl back into work mode. My daughter was diagnosed with type one diabetes a month ago and uh, it was really challenging and surprising and upsetting and all the emotions. My kid dealt with it really well. Apparently this is much easier for kids to manage than it is for the parents, which is what I'm learning and learning the truth of that. Um, The first week, like the day after, sorry, I'm doing my whole month. The day after she was, you know, in the hospital, um, you know, the ER style, does she need to be admitted, all of that, we had a Patreon Q&A scheduled. And I was like, oh, no, I have to cancel it. And it was really hard to reach out and cancel it because I was feeling like I was going to be disappointing everybody. Um, And I did. I had to cancel it. And then I had a workshop scheduled and on Thursday and I had to cancel that because um, part of this is I knew I wouldn't be able to deliver anything, which is also a whole other, I'm, I'm letting myself down. I'm letting everybody else down. Why can't I handle this? Why can't I do it all? And, um, and then I ended up having to cancel several workshops, which was really hard, uh, to send out that email and say, Hey, I can't do this. Um, about two weeks in, I realized I was doing this thing to myself where every day I would wake up and I would beat myself up because I hadn't gotten any work done the day before. I hadn't even been able to go to my office or open my computer or think about any story ideas while I was in the throes of, you know, managing this horrible new landscape I was existing in, trying to figure out what it meant. And so two weeks in, I had to sit down and just give myself permission not to work, like really consciously, all I'm doing is diabetes everything else can wait. And that was really powerful and important to me because I feel like 
my whole life, I've been doing this thing. I can be everything to everybody. I can serve everything and everyone. My needs don't matter. Um, and really not working met my needs because my needs really were about, I could only do one thing in this moment. And it was about, yes, I'm taking care of my daughter and learning how to do this, but that met my needs to be a parent and to serve what I needed to get done. And I'm getting really emotional about this because it was really hard to admit that to myself that I had to make that decision. And it sort of freed up my brain space so that in the morning I would wake up and I would be like, great, I'm doing this. I'm gonna get her, we're gonna figure out what she's gonna eat. I'm gonna count the carbs. I'm gonna give her the insulin. I'm gonna watch her numbers. We live from shot to shot, from meal to meal, from uh, riding the wave as the numbers go up and go down and uh, deal with it all and the insurance stuff and the medical supplies and, I spent one whole Saturday just reorganizing my kitchen, which felt really productive, but it also felt like I was um, doing something. I've been not cleaning very well, but I've been trying to manage that. But part of that, giving myself permission to just not, that I had the luxury to do that, I feel was really important, but um, it was really scary, really, really scary. And I did that for about a week and a half. And then slowly, after giving myself that very intentional respite. I was able to start answering emails, but still leaving the pressure off, right? I, I did a Patreon Q&A. What, what was that two nights ago? I'm here for the podcast again, that I am not fully, fully back where I was, which I don't think is a terrible thing because I was already burned out when <laughs> my daughter got diagnosed. I was already sending emails to friends like, I can't, I'm fried, I'm exhausted. But what this did is it helped me reprioritize mm. uh, my brain, how my brain operates and the urgency that I feel around other things. So I'm sort of trying to figure that out a lot too. Um, my emotional responses to other people's nonsense is just non-existent now. Not like I don't care, but like I, that, I don't have space in my body or my brain or my life for that. So go ahead, be a nonsense person but I, I'm not going to take it in in any way, which is something I hope I can hold on to. Oh yeah. Please teach us all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the same way that when somebody is loving and kind and nice to me and genuine, I can actually let that in, in a new way that I haven't been able to before, because I feel like I have been bracing myself for, for everything my whole life. So right, the pandemic hit and I was one of the people who was like, yeah, I knew it, here we go. I've been prepared for this bullshit my whole life. I was not prepared for type one diabetes to hit. to hit, And so this is a whole new thing. Uh, not to say that they're the same at all, but my reaction to both of them was completely different. Um, and that's not to say I haven't had, you know, issues, right? I've been taking care of my husband in one way or another for a very long time. He's had chronic health problems for about 20 years. So I am, comfortable in the caretaker role. I don't love it, um, but this is totally different. And it's helped me sort of uh, refocus what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment. Like I have always been desperately jumping from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. Even when Quincy was a baby, right? Get her up, get her changed, get her dressed, do this, do this, do this. And now I'm like, okay, I can just sit mm. and be my brain is still going a million miles an hour, but I'm, I'm working on it 
Um, all this to say, I would trade this newfound perspective in a heartbeat for not having her. But very early on, my daughter said from the backseat of the car, Mama, would you give up chips and wine for me not to have type one diabetes? And I said, yes. And she said, that's saying something. I will say <laughs> I have not had chips and wine or wine since the diagnosis uh, because I can't imagine ever not being completely sober for all of this. I'm sure that'll eventually go away once this right. normalizes a little bit. And I can't snack in the same way I did because food now is such a big part of our life not what she eats, but when she eats and what the combinations of the food are. So mm. me just grabbing a bag of chips and snacking on it in front of her feels not nice because she can only eat every certain, you know, every two hours, every three hours. So snacking has gone away, which is great. Um, one day though, I will return to full <laughs> chips and wine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I will say it's terrible. It's really, really terrible to watch your kid have to manage something like this and have her, I know this isn't a therapy podcast, but it is part of my life now in that she will be attached to, you know, she has two pieces of machinery attached to her now for the rest of her life. She has a monitor and she'll have a pump as soon as we get it in next week. So for the rest of her life, because she has to have insulin for the rest of her life. Mm. Um, and that's just so heartbreaking sorry. I will not be writing about this. I will say about type one diabetes or having a special needs kid. Well, I will not write yet. Not yet. I maybe will write about it like a yeah. fifth degrees of it in some other way, right. but uh, it's, it's harrowing. So for all the parents out there who are dealing with this, it's um, or anything like this. I know Meg, you have special needs kid at home too. And I just don't think I ever really understood what that meant and the amount of brain space it takes the, the amount of like becoming a parent takes up hundred percent of your brain. Being a writer is hundred percent of your brain. <laughs> Being a person in the world is hundred percent. So this is just a whole other trying to figure out how to calm the fuck down is my struggle right now. Yes. About well, everything. <laughs> it's a survival instinct. Your daughter, your daughter, it's survival. Of course, your amygdala's yeah. firing like crazy. Yeah. I think it's so amazing, Lorian, for your brain and your being to see even in the middle of this survival amygdala, use figure this out mode that you were able to catch it and say, I don't have to beat myself up. I can. I can allow this. I mean, you use the word luxury. I don't think it's a luxury. I think it was actually your survival needed you to do that, needed to give up all the expectation and was your survival instinct kicking in to like, this is all, this is what I need to do, period. And that's a very powerful thing. Um, I know that women are not enculturated to do that. Women are not enculturated to, to say this, I'm doing one thing and this is what I'm doing. We're enculturated to service everybody. <laughs> Um, but what a gift, like, I can't wait for a year from now for you to teach me how to stop having reactions to nonsense. That's what I'm going to talk about today is I have reactions <laughs> to nonsense. I just, I'm an overthinker bracing myself person too. And, uh, it's a very, God, I like, I have this image of myself as a Zen Buddhist monk type person who as the communication of the notes are coming in and my kid is yelling and I having this problem that I can just be like, I'm just going to be with this chaos and it's, and it's not about me. I can receive it. I can, 
I can hear it. I can be present with it, but it doesn't define me. Blah, and it doesn't happen at all. Inside of like, I'm very mad. <laughs> I have to leave right. the situation immediately. So I hear you. You're doing it on such a Olympic level to what I'm describing. Uh, oh, Meg, I'm not doing it well. I mean, I don't I'm still blah, blah, blah. so challenged. I'm still, you know, mad at my husband about some about the carb count and asparagus. I mean, really, I had a meltdown about do we count asparagus in the carb count or not? Right. Like, I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone who isn't dealing with type one diabetes, but it's a thing. Right. And I chose that to have us meltdown about, you know, because it was like, safe to have a meltdown about that. <laughs> course you did what do we fight over we fight our over the dumbest shit because it's just right. safe to talk about it which but. is a good note for writing right yes. when we talk about subtext and dialogue mm -hmm. characters having a fight about the carb count and asparagus is so much more specific and interesting than there having a fight about what they're really having the fight about <laughs> yes yes like i read once a short story about this this couple fought over who dropped and spilled the lasagna and it sat on the floor for months, right? That's a much more interesting story about the lasagna on the floor that nobody will clean up because what's what's the lasagna represent? What's really going on in this marriage? Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. How do you break through that versus the big, let's have a conversation about our deepest, you know, most direct thoughts, but people don't do that. I totally agree with you. The, the conversation, the argument over the carb count asparagus, <laughs> we, I have never had that argument, but I've had that argument 5 million times. Right. right? And it's right. finding that specificity for the writing, which sometimes it just comes because it's, you're so in that river and so authentic and you can just, there it is. And you're actually amazing at that, Lorian, um, at letting your characters be that specific and um, but sometimes it's like, I don't know, what are they arguing about? Or, you know, it can get elusive too, because you're trying to put in the big stuff. So it, it, it can mm -hmm. be hard, but that's the goal. That's the goal. Um, the more specific, I guess I want to say is the more, oddly, the more specific you get, the more it reaches everybody. It's more relatable. It sounds right? so yes. contradictory, but the more specific you are, the more people it will reach. And the more it starts to tell you about the character, like I remember once Jody saying to me, it's much more interesting in a scene instead of doing this, two people are gonna do a contract. Well, we're gonna do it in a, lot, a legal firm and there's gonna be a, a conference table and there'll be lawyers and that might be a good scene, but it might be a much better scene that it's in a coffee shop and somebody's grabbing a napkin and they're writing it down on a napkin. Mm -hmm. So it starts to tell you so much more about them, about the impetus, about what the hell's gonna happen to a napkin. like just just starts to tell you more about them than the kind of general thing. Right. Um, I always think about, um, sorry, I want to talk more about your week too, but about in Harry Met Sally, Sally's like her very specific on the side stuff, right? It's relatable because we all have those little things. We don't have that to the extent that she does, but we get it. We get that she has, and we, and it's, uh, what's it called? Uh, where you look up to somebody, you uh, want it. What's that work? You aspire aspirational because don't we all wish we could just say the thing that we want out loud like she does? I want it on the side. That's right? so don't we true. wish we could all say, like, so it's specific, it's relatable, and it is aspirational because I want to be, I want to be that, like, you know what? Here's what I want. I want this and this and this and this and this, right? 
instead of like being embarrassed or shamey about the things we want. So and it's it can like be crazy. It can also be kind of still metaphors. Like, like I'd always think about in the jerk when he's so mad and he's like, I'm leaving and I'm taking this with me and this picture too. And he just walks out gathering shit that he's taking with him. And you're like, yes, in your head, that's what you're doing, but he's going to yes. do it. And he's so heartbroken and he's so, you know, but it's so, it's like a vivid memory to me when I saw that scene, mm-hmm. because it's so, was so specific. And yet the emotion was so real and authentic. And then it's, it is so true that where the character takes it is always why they're the hero of the movie, because mm-hmm. they're going to take it one more step. They're going to do something more clever. They're going to do something weirder, crazier. Like that's why that's so delightful, right? Or scarier or whatever the genre is, right? It's so, it's so interesting. And uh, now I need to go back and look at my own writing, but whatever. Every time we even talk (laughs) about this stuff, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Um, I mean, that's the the point. There's so many layers, right? So many layers. layers. But the way you do this is, of course, you put them into action. I always find that's the best way to get it going is put them into behavior, make them do something. I'll tell you, actors don't Mm -hmm. want to sit around talking either. And nobody wants to animate our our lips moving. Like it's about Mm -hmm. what's happening on the screen. What are they doing? Are they walking out the door? Are they, what is happening? Um, With stakes. (laughs) <laughs> I know. See, here we go. Here come the layers. <laughs> and then you get this whole piece in and you're like, oh my God, but I just put that in a conference room with lawyers and I have everything else, all the other shit I need, but ah, right. And then you're like, now it's getting mechanical because I'm thinking about it so much. I mean, it just is process. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jeff. I was actually I- about to say, thanks, Lorian. That was like super brave of you to share in, um, I feel like I'm dealing with, I'm having a lot of like outside voices screaming at me right now. And so it's just nice to hear that you're even allowed to enable to be like, shut the fuck up. This is what I'm doing. Like that was valuable to hear. Oh, um, it's a new t-shirt. Shut the fuck up. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. I love that. I need one. <laughs> um, All right, Jeff, how was your week? Come on. Come on. I need other on. people to be, other people need to be wearing that shirt around me though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to remind me. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yesterday was my birthday and I think I'm learning as I age, like I'm not very good at my birthday. Like I kind of decombusted and I don't know if you all relate to this, but there's something about like when you are like an aspiring creative person where birthdays kind of feel like nails being like stuffed into your coffin. Um, and my poor wife, I am like, I've just been profusely apologetic because I was just kind of like an emotionally needy wiener yesterday. <laughs> and she's just like so patient. Um, and so I was trying to assess like what was going on. I'm not old and also age doesn't matter, right? Like it's all relative. And I just, I don't know. I was just kind of, I'm like in a part of this movie where I feel like I'm kind of waiting around for things, which is great, but like, I'm not very good at that. And like, I'm like waiting around is always like, oh, I should be writing or doing something. And I don't know, for some reason, I'm not particularly interested in doing that right now. So I, I don't know. I was just like a little floundery yesterday and, um, I don't know. I also, I, we went to go get sushi. Cause I was finally like, okay, I can go out. And then the waitress very sweetly spilled Coke all over me. It was just, it was quite a day, but happy birthday too. It's <laughs> like the feeling. I mean, it sounds like two things have come together, which is birthdays, which can be that like, Oh my God, what have I achieved in my life? All that right. stuff kind of rolling in. Yeah. But also, you know, at the end of a project, there is always this crazy morning period. Yeah. It, it happens to crews at the end of long movie shoots. It happens to you when you finish a script and either, you know, this is not going forward. 
right? And you've tried to set it up other places and you're like, oh my God, I feel like we need to like, Jonathan and I literally had to get together and like raise champagne to it and have a ceremony because this was like years of our life. We'd been, th- we'd been it's like the characters died, yeah. right? And again, that's because that didn't get made. Yours is going to go on and go out in the world. But I think the, the process of the creative process stopped slowing down or stopping what do you, that's does right. that does that feel right or no because i think no that feels exactly right and two i think if it doesn't go you mourn it and that's tragic and if it does go there is an element of mourning of things that didn't shake out the way you would have expected or perceived we talked about this a bit in the patreon there are things that i'm actually much more pleased by and surprised by than i thought when i was on the page and there are things that you know, you want your first feature to win the jury prize at South by Southwest so that you can show run and be the youngest showrunner on a streamer. Like, that's like what you... Now we know. Now we know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but that's not happening, which is fine. Um, so I just think it's all of that. And then my, I think my birthday just like really catalyzed all of that. But I'm everything's fine and I'm fine. And I'm feeling also really grateful. But I think now I'm just like in waiting and I'm just like, I just want to finish this fucking movie so I can just go it's go fly and like it's that's a good place to be so yeah I'm almost there (laughs) you're almost there Jeff I can't wait till next week to hear where you I feel like my advice to you not that you asked I know I would love it you should start working on something else yeah even if it's just a little tiny doodle so that you can let go a little bit release some of the anxiety and angst and all this of still working on the movie but maybe Mm -hmm. you just give some part of that brain churn to some new idea or discovering or something like reading reading a a biography of somebody you find interesting maybe like anything to move away from that um that's advice I get from Meg and I rarely follow so I'm just sharing it with you (laughs) I I agree and it is time I think I'm a little afraid to write just because I haven't really done that in a long time Mm. well right then I think it's a great idea to go read a book that maybe could be a movie in your head you've always thought about this person or whatever and even Mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen who cares it's just to get your wheels greased so to speak well I do appreciate the advice and um I'm glad to hear it's not I'm not a crazy person for losing it on my birthday so let's jump to Meg everybody loses it on their birthday yeah I don't even remember how old I am um (laughs) Uh, my week, I'm going to say, I'm going to start with the word communication, which you don't think about it as a writer. You think about it on the page and storytelling, but so much of the job when it becomes a job becomes about communicating with others. So it could be communicating within a team, a director, producer, executive to that producer, that team has to communicate. It could be writing partners that you have to communicate. It could be now you're communicating with a studio and then the pressures that all those different people are bringing to that communication. And then I personally start to overthink that communication. Like what just happened on that phone call is something going on that we don't know about. Like I just, I start to spin stories out of the communication, but I don't want to overburden the young executive either with all my questions. Cause then you're going to be freaking a high maintenance writer. Right. And so that's what a manager's for so that you can call them and be like, what is happening? What, this was the craziest phone call. The communication went sideways really fast. We don't even know what it means. Sometimes they take action on that and they start calling around and finding out is something going on at the studio. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just like, you need to chill out. You're getting a little overworked. I've had both of those things happen. Um, you know, but for me, it's when I'm bringing this up because I'm, I'm, I'm toggling between 
needing to be out and communicating and using my intellect because your intellect is being used a lot when you're doing that communication and you're getting notes and what do those notes mean? And, oh my God, I thought you meant that. And no, we weren't trying that and that scene, we were trying this or whatever's happening or yeah, we know that doesn't work, but you know, this is what we were trying or whatever um, with the need for a safe space to create. So it's like expectations coming in and how they're being communicated which sometimes can be very positive or sometimes they can be negative. It just depends on where you are, who you got giving you those expectations with the safe space you need to now come up with ideas for what they're freaking asking you. But the expectations start to make you wanna write towards the expectation and towards that communication and towards your overthinking about what they all just said. And it, I start to get into this anxiety mode of, I don't feel safe. And I, I, it took me a, honestly, it takes me sometimes a while to figure out, oh, this is what this is. I don't feel safe to create. I'm, oh, I'm really up in my intellect. Um, you know, and sometimes, yes, as a pro, you might have more tools, more chops. You can jump quicker to ideas. You might have more inspired ideas because you've been doing it for a while, you know, but it's still a slog in the mud. It's still, you know, a movie that's in somebody else's head versus yours be that a director or a studio or whoever, or an animation storyboard artist. I mean, there's so many people in animation, right? These, the, this level of communication just gets so amazing and helpful. And it can also get like, oh, what are we doing? Um, you know, so, I, you know, it's coming back to something I posted. It just can start feel so bigger than you are at some point. All of those expectations, all of those needs, all of your overthinking, it could just, the whole process can just start feel so much bigger then what your poor brain that is not feeling safe can deliver or like even help. Um, and I did a Facebook rant on our Facebook page about I hate the I don't know stage, right? Where I hate two stages. One is as the screening or you're, you're gonna turn it in and your brain starts to tell you all the stuff that's wrong and it's too late. No, my God, and these are all the notes you're gonna get, and rah, right? And then right afterwards, when you get the big expectation, you know, you get all those notes and you're like, oh my God, it's a mountain. It's a mountain of expectation. And I don't know, I don't know how to do any of this. I mean, there are rare creatures in the world that actually like these stages. <laughs> I'm not one of them. Um, my friend who's an actor, he loved this. He loved exploring and, and being curious. And he would say, I'd be like, it's a cul-de-sac. And he'd be like, it doesn't matter. Just go down the cul-de-sac. Let's find something beautiful and funny. It was an improver, right? He loved it. I just some part of my brain feels very, um, uh, my brain can start to feel very in danger, right? Cause I don't know. And so I'm really working hard to try to stay in curiosity. Uh, and it's very hard. It's very hard when those expectations are coming down to say, well, I don't know, but let's be curious and find out. But that's the only way you get the good stuff. It's the only way you get the authentic stuff. Like we talked about those details. Like if you're over up in expectation and anxiety, you're probably not going to write that detail about the asparagus, right? Because your brain is trying to put these big pieces together, or mine is anyways. Um, and the last thing I'll summarize it by saying, I'm in the middle of this kind of expectation, uh, anxiety skid out and uh, trying to get back to myself. And my son, who's a senior in high school, sent me a list from his philosophy class and now in the philosophy class, they're called intellectual virtues, but he emailed me, hey, I think these would also be really amazing to think about for the creative artistic process. So I just want to tell you them because I'm trying to get into them. So these are philosophy intellectual virtues. Curiosity, ask questions. 
The second one is intellectual humility. Admit what you don't know. So creatively admit you don't know and what you specifically don't know. Let's, let's get more specific. What don't you know? Right? So I'm staying up and I don't know. I don't know. The first step down is, okay, what specifically don't you know? Let's go there. Intellectual autonomy. So creatively, so think for yourself. I'm so busy out in the expectations of what they want and what they need, which is partly, it is my job. Like, don't get me wrong. That is my job to deliver something for the director and the producers and the studio, what they want. But I also have to put myself in there. I also have to think for myself and not try to think for them. Attent attentiveness, look and listen, be present. It's what you're talking about, Lorian. You have to be present creatively. I can't be kind of up in some overthinking anxiety world. I have to be present right here and right now. It's so hard to do when you start to spin out. Um, intellectual carefulness, think and create with care, right? Not just, now that is a bit tricky because I like to barf draft, right? I like to spon be spontaneous, but I take it more for me creatively that I care about these characters. I, trying to reconnect to that I do care about this story. I don't want to throw it out the window. <laughs> well, I do, but I don't. I do actually still care about these characters. And then it's intellectual thoroughness, go deep. Creatively, go deep. Right? Don't skid across the top, even though the expectations are scattershotting your brain. Stay, be present, go deep. Open-mindedness, think outside the box. Yes, don't go into the, don't do the contract in the lawyer's room. Sure, write that. Now write four different versions of where it could happen that are so specific to your character. Go outside the box. Um, intellectual and creative courage which is I think where I'm getting all wiggly right now. Because even though these expectations, you feel these expectations, you still have to risk. And you know, I've had writing partners and they're so amazing at this and keep teaching me this when they're like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just like, what? And I, maybe it's because I used to be a producer, right? So I'm always like, what? And they're like, let's just try it. Um, take, take risks. And then the last one is intellectual tenacity, which is creatively embrace the struggle. Creativity is struggle. This is the work. I always get like, I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time in the struggle. I'm wasting time because I don't know. No, that is, this is the process. I literally every Friday have this where I'm like, it's Friday. Why don't I have more? Right? Or why? I, I know this. I know this note is coming. I know it's coming when we present. So why don't I, I've got to have five ideas of other things we could do. I don't have them. Why don't I have them? What have I been doing all week? Well, what I've been doing all week is mulching and trying different things and risking and being curious and all the other things on that list. Right. So it was just such a good way to remind me that it's not, this is, and by the way, these are philosophers who are looking at the human condition and coming up with what they see as this consistent human uh, process that we go through and that this is the intellectual creative rigor to remind yourself of. So I just thought that was such a great, well-timed thing for my son who clearly knows me well uh, to send to me in the middle of this kind of anxiety uh, place that I am of expectations versus the creative process. So that might've been too long and we can cut that list. No, if you think it's I, thought too long. Was, I thought it was great. And it's just more layers, Meg.
more layers, <laughs> which I think is great. And I think you can, the, the, it, we might think, oh, just like in craft, we have to do all those things at once when really oh God, it's no. about one at a time, right? What, what am I doing right now? What don't I know? Which leads to, well, what am I curious about? Or right. approaching it with care. What do I care about? Or um, what am I, you know, what? They're just what tools, right? Me? For you to grab. Like, it's yes. not like, oh, I have to do these things. It's more like little beacons and lights in the dark mm -hmm. to help guide you towards, well, ask this question. What do you care about? Or what don't you know? Or if you did know, what would you know? Which somebody said to me once when I kept going, I don't know, I don't know. And she was like, well, if you did know, what would you know? And I was like, well, I know this. And she was like, there you do know, right? Like, it's just, right. they're just, they're just little guides of how the human condition works and how brains work as to try to get you back yeah. to your center. Because I think what's happened is in, in, in expectation of what could happen in expectations of what I know, you know, what it does happen. I get outside of my center. My center goes outside of myself and into other people. Um, even fictional people that I don't even know are giving notes that I, I'm anxiety wise, giving them all the power. And it's, these are just little guides if they work to try to get you back into your center, safe, creative space. And so Jeff, in a way, I think it respond, re, re, relates to you too. Like your brain, I think needs to do what Lorian has learned, which is just let yourself not be creative. If you're tired, you've had this big run, you might just be tired and need to say, I'm gonna take a rest. I mean, you went to Hawaii, which is great. Um, but then when you're ready, these are ways to start dipping your toe back in too, right? Like, what are you curious about? What do you blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, they're tools. You don't have to do all of them. You don't have yeah. to do any of them. And I would like to say to everybody, I mean, that was brilliant, Meg. I love all that stuff. Thank your son. I would like to say too, that you don't need to have a massive uh, diagnosis or have a film finishing or some big thing in order to give yourself permission to not do the writing for a couple days, for a week. If you need to take care of something else, you can do that. We're told write every day. You're always a writer. You have like all the things that we put on ourselves in order to be writers. Part of that is I'm just not going to do it today on purpose, intentionally, not, not avoiding yourself up, not avoidance, but like today I am focusing on this and just giving yourself permission and freedom and the joy in that. Not that there's joy in taking care of bad things sometimes, but like sometimes I just need a day to pay bills so that it's not hanging over me. Today, I have to call the insurance. I have to call AT&T. I have like today, I have a bunch of stuff to do that will allow me tomorrow to write. And that's the trick. If the intention is to take the space so that you can write tomorrow, right? Because especially young emerging writers will just never go back, right? There, that you have to also dedicate yourself to, I will go back to my characters. But thank you very much, characters. I'm taking a few days. Now, mm -hmm. when you have something dramatic and so big happen in your life, like you did, Lorian, it's not gonna be a few days and it shouldn't be, right? The death in the family, whatever it is, right? Um, but in terms of the day-to-day, -day, yes, I'm bad at this. I'm terrible at this, at taking time. I wonder if you could say like, I like to approach my characters like I just sort of, if I can get into the space, then I just watch what they're doing and write it down. But sometimes you get into a place where they're not doing anything interesting. So I wonder maybe next time I get there, I'll be like, okay, you guys, I'm going to take a break. You guys go do something interesting. And when I come back. Oh my God, you, please try that and tell us. You, how it goes. That's you, you please 
please show me what you've been up to because right now you're boring as fuck. You're not doing anything and I'm, I'm annoyed. So I'm going to go do some shit. You guys go do some shit. We'll get back together and we'll see what happens. Well, what you're asking your brain to do is see beyond the blind spot. You're asking, yes. you're, you're opening the door to receive whatever the fuck they do. And so it has to be a very intentional, wide open ask because they may do stuff you don't want them to do. Oh, and that's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like you I can't say they do. I'm going away. Yeah. And when I come back, I want you to do what I want you to do. That is not no, no, going to no. work. No, right. They now, might I know that's not what you're saying. I'm just trying to make clear for people. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a, sometimes when you say to the universe, okay, tell me, show me, it's going to show you. Right. So I love it. I love the idea that your, your characters, of course, are just pieces of you. And oh, I, let's do it, Lorian. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this today. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys 24 hours. And when I come back, I want to know, what are you up to? Right. I'll come back with my stories and my experience. You guys come with yours. Let's see what happens. That's so great. Um, and I think you should just yeah. think about having one glass of wine, Lorian. It's up to you. I don't want to be, you need to do what you need to do. But part of me thinks your characters will come out with a more interesting situation. If you just like, have uh, your, like no, one. No. I, I just, I can't. I've actually, I've been sleeping better. Good. My brain is clearer. And I feel less anxious because I think alcohol, I mean, might not be great for me. Shocking. (laughs) I still had a whiskey for hire for St. Patrick's Day. Being a writer, you have to have self-awareness in order to pay attention to what, what, what's going on, right? Like I was getting super overwhelmed and beating myself up. Meg, you were putting your your center into other people, right? right? And then you sort of, or you recognize a habit you have. Jeff, right? You're in this place where you're just feeling, you kind of used your birthday maybe as an opportunity to disassemble a little, right? Mm-hmm. It became this flashpoint. So being self-aware enough to be able to say, ah, something is not working. Mm-hmm. What what is, what is it that I need to do here, right? You can try different things, but you can't, you, we're not machines, right? And we carry with us all the baggage of our whole life experience, right? Everything is coming in at us. So we have to be able to be self-aware. Something we don't expect our characters to be all the time until the third act, but we have to be able to be that way. Well, and in that self-awareness, and it's going to come and go, of course, like the self-awareness might come because you're talking to friends like this or whatever, but mm-hmm. also that self-awareness can bring up lava, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. the reason the expectations are there is because the lava of my childhood and constantly trying to please a very powerful parent that was unpleasable mm-hmm. at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the, 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 all your survival mechanisms, of it, I'm speaking for myself now, have come up, right? Um, and it's, can I be self-aware enough to get back to myself, my current self, not the child I was, my current self, and be present here, back to the work itself, and apologize to the people I might need to apologize to because I flipped out under that stress of overwhelm, or that person who was asking me a question that brought up lava, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm already overwhelmed. I can't. I didn't even recognize it as lava. Do you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes your lava comes up in these moments, and mm-hmm. you're like, you don't even see it as lava. You just see it as an attack, or mm-hmm. uh, that's. A, but actually, if I can calm down, be curious and do the things on that list, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe that is something I'm doing. Maybe that is something I need to look at to make this communication go better, to get back to the work, to go deeper into the work, to be present with the work. So that self-awareness 
can be so illuminating, but it can also burn a bit. And But past that burn, I do really believe is a kind of connection back to yourself, back to the people and authentically speaking now and to communicate back to those expectations with passion about the project versus on defense, mm. right? Like how much better will it be if I know this piece doesn't work instead of going back with defensive, well, what about this? And how about this? And is this good enough? And would that work? And I guess this probably sucks in your head, right? But instead I'm like, oh my God, I just mulled on this and sat in the lava. And I actually think, is this interesting? Like this might be interesting. This is interesting to me. What's the trail here, right? Hmm. To try to get back to that uh, you know, right self. I think too, if we develop habits where we're not in tune with ourselves and we're lacking that self-awareness, unfortunately we'll bring that to our work. And I think our job as writers is to be like as like astutely tuned into our characters as we can. I mean, Lauren, I think the idea of just sitting back and letting them tell you is so smart. So if we, unfortunately, if we're not doing that in our own lives, I don't think we can probably bring it to our writing and then we're disservicing our, our characters. So that's And I think point. Jeff, like it's true. Like if you're writing from that deeper mucky stuff, you start to get that weird specificity and have a voice, right? Um, that's where it shows up. It really does show up there. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, how many years have I been doing this and I'm still <laughs> having these moments of like, oh my God, this is the same old scene we've seen a million times. <laughs> Um, well, that's it. We have to keep doing the work, right? Just like yeah. writing is the work over and over every day. That work on ourselves is this, we don't, I don't suddenly think I'm going to be able to go like, aha, I got it. I figured this out, right? I have, it's intentional. You have to do it over and over. You know, my fears about disappointing people and not being enough and not asking for help, right? All came up in this. And then I was like, or too bad, right? But this is a place I have to keep coming back to over and over and over with therapy, with talking with friends, with support, you know, that- You know, I have this small side thing about that. That healing internally is a spiral. So you do come back around again, but hopefully you with more illumination, more, you can see it differently now because you're at a different part of the spiral, right? And slowly the spiral is getting shorter and shorter and you're getting more and more until, you know, you can let that go or it's created itself into something else, so which is something you're going to live with. So instead of a trauma spiral, it can be a healing spiral. He Traumas are spiraling, but also healing is also a spiral, meaning just the okay. way that galaxies are, right? It is a, a very deep part of our existence, these spirals. And so I, instead of seeing, oh my God, I'm back here as like a failure, it can be, oh, you're back here with a new brain. New, new things have been Recognizing burned. it new rec you, with self-awareness. The very fact that you recognized your back <laughs> is a huge step forward in healing. Oh, I'm doing this again. I need to go down and own it and try something different, right? Because to react to this in the same way, we'll just burn the old pathway. What's the new pathway? I can burn by doing this, pull this right? To pull this into like feature structure, this is after the midpoint, right? Where the character realizes I'm beyond the point of no return. I want to go back to where I was before but I had the self-awareness, right. but you can't. So the choices then are either try to move forward into finding a new way, right? Into right. act three mm -hmm. or just sink and sit, right? And yeah, and I mean, it's, is, you know, after the midpoint, yes, you're awake enough to it to be aware of it you can't go back 
but now you don't know how to do it. And you don't even, you don't trust it yet. You don't know if you can, if you can do it, if the world will do it, but you're trying and you're building things and it's starting to go well under tremendous stress now because we're past the midpoint. But then I think the universe walks up and goes, really? Do you think you can hold this consciousness when this happens? And it gives you that character the worst well, possible nightmare. They were afraid of an act one and their choice is to go unconscious again, which is why we hit the end of act two. They choose to go back backwards to that old behavior. And now we hit the end of act two so that they can really wake up. Now they have the tools to do act three, which is be awake and how to do it and how to express it and how to accomplish it or whatever. Um, absolutely, totally. For me, this is all how structure is created. Right. On a character self-awareness. I know I always go back to structure. I can't help it. No, 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 it's um, brilliant. I love it. It's yeah, self-awareness. So, you know, we are all on the hero's journey. God damn it. Of self-awareness <laughs> and fucking spiraling around. I'm on the goddess's journey, whatever that oh, is, like but that. we're going to, we're going to write that story, Meg. That's going to be our structure book. The goddesses, the, the, the goddess journey. The goddess journey. The goddess journey, right? It's going to be about how powerful, messy women have their own stories and their own journeys, right? Perfect. Let's there do you it. go. That's our that's our structure book. Pre-order now. <laughs> First we have to write it. <laughs> oh, that. That. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well. well Thank you guys for tuning in. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group. Uh, we really would love to see you there. The Screenwriting Life on Facebook. Uh, great, great discussions happening there. And we just recorded our fourth Patreon workshop, the Q&A that I had to cancel that we actually did. And it was uh, really great. So uh, check that out if you're interested. And please give us a star, a five-star review. I can't even say that. I've always thought it was so hard asking for this. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts uh, so that we can, uh, you know, do more of this. And you might hear your review right on the show. Remember, you are not alone. And keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.